we should just do it for luck. This is Lucky to Lead. That was so good. Okay. Just drop your best one. Welcome to Lucky to Lead. You're talking shit about me? <laughs> well, this is Lucky, Lucky to Lead. lead. I'm Ronnie Cosme and this is David Cohn. David? How you guys doing? Great to, great to be with you again, Ronnie. All right, so episode, officially episode one, the first episode, a.k.a. the pilot. Um, we made it, we made it through. We got picked up, let's say. We're official. Shout yeah. out to, shout out to Lakeem Jackson for the sick logo. Appreciate that. Yeah, big time. Uh, so our, our first ever guest, um, is a really good friend of mine, someone who I've worked with for the last four ish years. Um, certainly I consider to be a, a good friend. Um, someone that uh, I look up to and I, I, I definitely will kick my, my leadership uh, tire around with whenever available. Nathan Lenahan. Nathan. What's up, guys? Uh, really excited to be here with you guys, especially for the first one. So, you know, if, uh, if anyone can screw it up, it'll be me and uh, it should only get better from here. Well, the good news is the bar can be as low as we want. It's the first episode. First Trust episode. me, the pilot, if we're going by the pilot. It's very low, so we can only go up. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. All right, cool. So um, thanks for being on. I think we, we wanted to kick it off with a little bit of like uh, an introduction. You know, who who are you? You know, what's your background? Um, and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so so Nathan Lenahan, uh, currently in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm the the COO of, of a company called Smart City Locating. Uh, which is this amazing startup that uh, that I joined here in January. Just background-wise, I come from uh, you know, like really the um, the school of leadership from the military. I was in the army for for six years, active duty, eight years National Guard. Um, I started my own companies and sold them. I've worked for other fast-growing startups like WeWork and helped grow you know a team from you know ten to over three hundred. And just uh, you know, for me, uh, just really excited to be able to share and and like learn as much as I can. You know, really proud father and husband. Got four kiddos and uh, and a wife. And we've been together for you know eighteen years since basically my first semester of college. So she's been through every single bit of it with me, and uh, and like been the rock through it all. So uh, you know, if uh, if I ever get a big head, she's the one that helps keep me a little bit humble. <laughs> that's 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 uh, that's the short and sweet, at least. Awesome. So uh, you know, I think the the whole topic of discussion the thing that we we kind of come around is leadership and i think you alluded to it a little bit uh so i'll kick things off uh and then i'll just i'll pass it over to david who i'm, I'm sure is uh, already writing down his questions it looks like so um for me I, I think i always go fundamentally like you know how did you how did you fall into leadership you know i think um you know for me it's funny. I never really thought of myself as a leader until I probably got into the army. Um, you know, like it seems like some things came naturally, but I really found my stride and and like having just a little bit of structure, um, and, and like finding worth in myself first, and then seeing it in others. And like the one of the beautiful things that the army taught me was was just finding, um, you know, finding the value in every single person. And, and like I got to learn so much from amazing leaders, and I got to learn probably even more from terrible leaders. 
And so like, there's still people today that, um, you know, I think about how they left me feeling as a person or as a team member or, um, as a soldier and, and, and how, how I didn't want to leave any of my team ever feeling like that in the future. And like, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Um, the first time I was deployed to Iraq, uh, you know, I go, uh, we go over there. I'm 19 years old, super young, like a private. Um, I had a bit of a smart mouth and you know, that, that tended to get me in a little bit of trouble and, and we're, uh, we're out there and I don't remember all the details, but, uh, it's, it's 2003, the war had just started and, um, I was supposed to be doing guard shift. Guard shift was typically like 12 hours, you know, and you're just at an outpost watching the, the perimeter of, you know, like any base you're on. And I, uh, I had switched shifts for some reason. Like I had maybe done patrols earlier and it was just a long day. And so I switched to do it in the morning instead of the evening, whatever. Um, and my section chief found out. And apparently he did not, uh, he did not appreciate the fact that I shifted, like switched shifts. And, um, and so he, he basically gave me a very strong talking to, we'll say. And he told me to go stay out on the guard point until, until he came out and and brought me back. Well, uh, 12 hour shift from, uh, remember that. So 12 hours, you're supposed to be on the guard point. So I did my 12 hours and then I hit 24 hours and then I hit 36 hours and then I hit 48 hours and it just kept going and going. Um, can you believe that this leader, um, this section chief forgot me in the middle of a combat zone for three days on this guard post? And like, there's just nothing that, um, can, can humble you more than knowing that you've been forgotten as a human being. And so I just remember like, that's, that was one of the things where I was so stubborn. I'm like, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'm not going to um, call him out. And he literally forgot me. Um, and so eventually, you know, you know, I ended up going back, but, um, you know, and someone came out and realized I'd, I'd just been stuck there for, for days. And so, um, I just knew I never wanted to be a leader like that. And, and so, you know, like it just started with just observing a lot, um, paying attention, listening, you know, I have, uh, form like a, 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 just a bias to listening first and, and like figuring out how I can help. And so, uh, I learned like a high level of ownership already from my father who served in the Navy, um, as well. And then, you know, uh, my, my time in the army just really solidified that like sense of ownership too, um, for every situation. And so between listening, seeing good examples, bad examples, and, uh, and just wanting to be better than what I saw, uh, like I, I've had lots of opportunities to, to do that over my career. Do you think that that sense of service drives you today that carries over into your kind of professional life now? Obviously the military and the professional world are way different, but at the same time, there's so many similarities, but there are a lot of differences. But do you feel that sense of service really kind of drives you the same way it does when you were in the military, but just in a different way? Absolutely. I remember reading this article and it was, uh, it was called the, um, like the up, upside down pyramid. And, and basically it's just the idea that, you know, like when you see a normal organizational chart, like the leaders on top, right? Well, in this, in this scenario, the leader's on the bottom and you're serving everyone above you. And like, that's exactly how I feel. I'm there to serve all of them. And instead of thinking of me serving the CEO, if I'm serving everyone on my team um, at a high level, then they deliver the results. And like the CEO is going to be happy the stake, like all your shareholders are going to be happy and you're going to deliver the results you need to. And so um, one of the beautiful things I remember, and I think I've shared this with you, Ronnie, before uh, that I love from the army is this, this thing called the NCO creed. And 
And part of it, um, you had to memorize it when you got promoted to sergeant. And it was just a really key piece of being um, part of the, the NCO Corps. And uh, it says, um, two basic responsibilities will always be uppermost in my mind, accomplishment of the mission and the welfare of my soldiers. And like for me, that's what I'm always thinking about every single day. Um, and some of those terms have changed over time. It's, it's, uh, it's not just the welfare, but it's like, what's the culture? How do people, do they love coming to work? Do they love what they're doing? They feel like they're doing something bigger than themselves. And so, you know, for me, like absolutely that level of service just drives me every single day. That's what's exciting. It's not necessarily seeing my own success. It's seeing someone like Ronnie step up into a role that, um, you know, as he's changed some of his jobs, like he's in a role that fits him better than probably anything I've seen so far, you know? And so, seeing people like excel like that and step into something that they're naturally good at and you helping them get there. Like that's the best thing you can do as a leader. And uh, you know, like that's, that's like the most pride I get. And that, that hopefully stems from that, um, that dedication to the service. Yeah. Thanks for that. I think, um, you know, that we have a commonality in our military background. So I, I know I, I love that aspect of how that carries over. We talk a lot, Ronnie and I talk a lot about, um, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the culture and then the byproduct of that culture is winning, right? And it seems like that's a very similar kind of to your CEO. If you're serving your people, your boss is going to be happy because you're producing results through those people. So that support system is there. And obviously that's something that drives you. So that's one of those commonalities that sports, athletics, military, professional world, seem to all kind of have that that blend in common and it doesn't change much you know some of the some of the coolest moments we've had on the lacrosse field as coaches together is being in like a really really tight game and it's like a minute or two left and we go into the huddle and we don't drop a play like everyone we like just look around and we're like hey the cult the team culture is going to win this game right and we always talk about doing the little things it's like the thing that we probably obsess the most about which like, I know that's not unheard of from coaches to do. Um, but in those moments, like we've made it a part of our culture to do the, the little things. Right. Um, so that, that just is so reflective of, like Dave said, not only, you know, y'all's um, experience serving, but also professional and, you know, to sports as well. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's amazing. Now, switching over when you first, when you went from WeWork to, smart city. Um, can you talk a little bit about your approach to going into a new environment that you don't know the people you don't know, you know, obviously you have an idea because they hired you, but certainly, you know, some of the people that now work for you, they don't know you at all. What's your kind of philosophy and what's your approach to being in that new environment? How do you go about kind of your business kind of in that first couple of weeks to now you're there, you've been there for about Six months, correct? Uh, just I started in January, so just three months now. Okay, so yeah, so when you started to now to that kind of spot that you're now, can you kind of elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, I, I, I kind of um, I hinted at it earlier when I said like a bias to listen. Uh, for me, I think so. I actually wrote like a, a post on this on uh, like what does it mean to come into a new place? And for me, after 30 days, I think I'd done 97 one on ones, so just listening, like how do I get to know the David Cones or the Ronnie's? Well, you sit down and you ask questions and you listen and you take notes. And so I think I had 17 pages of notes. I did 97 one-on-ones. I learned and asked questions and just, you know, like consistently showed up um, in a way that like, like there's no ego here. I don't care what my title is. I don't care what your title is. 
I'm just here to learn and see how I can serve this organization the best. And so, you know, for me, like I came in and, and then I wanted to simplify the message. Like, what am I learning along the way? And so after those 30 days, I was able to go back to the team and say like, here's what I've learned. Um, we have amazing people. The culture is, is wonderful, but like we've eroded some trust based on some decisions we made it in the last few quarters and how we executed on that. And so like, this is how we need to get better. We need to improve our transparency. You know, we have to be upfront. People need to know when they're going to hear from the CEO or COO or their leaders. Um, we need to be transparent on decisions that we're making and, 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 uh, and doing for the company. We need to, uh, we need to evaluate like what do benefits, perks and, and all those things look like because uh, you know, like there wasn't consistency. There wasn't everything that we needed there. And so, you know, people had lots of questions. And then lastly, like the people really, really wanted to be um, feel like they were being invested in. And so that meant we needed to step up our learning and development and training overall. And so, uh, you know, for me, like I have something that I'm really invested in called growth plans, you know, and like teaching all our managers and leaders how to do a growth plan with a person and understand like, you know, what do they want their next role to be? How do we get them there? Um, you know, what are their shortcomings right now? Are they mentoring other people? Are they being mentored? Um, do they have a, a path to get to where they need to be? Do they have the skills that they need to? Are they lacking the experience? How do we help them with those things? And so, um, you know, those three things, the transparency, the review of benefits and perks, and then learning and development were like the, the big three that I took away as far as like um, where we needed to improve. And so like that became the pillars that I started talking about over and over and then like delivering uh, quick wins as, as fast as possible where I can make a difference. And so um, that continues and it's simple things. Like we started doing all company meetings and sharing updates every month. Um, you know, they get a video from me each week on like, Hey, here's what the leadership team's thinking about. Uh, and then we set, we set like uh, on the calendar for the whole year, here's all company training days. Here's other days that we're going to do specialized training for managers or new man, you know, whatever it may be. And so like, we just kept, um, we made commitments and then we actually delivered on them as fast as we possibly can. And if for some reason we couldn't, then we renegotiated and we said, Hey, we promise this, we can't deliver there because of this. And we're going to, we're going to actually push it out because we think we can still do it, you know? And so um, I think just trying to deliver on those things. So like just coming in and listening a ton, being really, really curious and actually caring about the people and then actually sharing what you're learning and, and like making a difference where you can. And so, um, and absolutely operating without ego, ego can't be a part of this. And so that, I think that was, um, it feels like it's been a successful, you know, introduction to a new company and uh, yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. That's awesome. I think, um, you know, the transparency, I think is one of the other things that I picked up on of just, you've got to be able to be super uh, communicative to your people and, and it's both ways, right? You mentioned listening and then also being transparent of when, Hey, we said we were going to do this, but we can only do this but this is how we're going to get there. I think being that, that transparency is, is awesome. I would say my next question has to be, okay, so 99% of the people that work for you probably were fired up, excited about it. What about that 1% that is like fighting tooth and nail? What, what, what were some of the, A, was there anyone like that? I find that hard to believe because it sounds like you kind of nailed it on, on how that approach. But what about that 1% that, that fights you on, on the change? How do you approach that? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's always, um, I love to teach and, and like share perspective. And number one, like just everyone needs to know we're all follow, you know, fallible. Like I'm not perfect. I'm not going to get this right, but here's how we're thinking through this. Um, and I could tell you, like, there were some people that were just skeptical, you know, so like no, no hard charger saying like, no, this ain't happening. No way. 
it was more like, um, wow, we had this meeting that he was taking a lot of notes. Like, what's he writing down? You know, like, oh, hey, what does this mean for me? Is, you know, is my role at risk? You know, did I, was, did I show up well? And, and just trying to remind everyone that, hey, like, we're going to be really um, candid about, you know, how we make decisions. And so, you know, like an example would be, you know, we, we had to make a, you know, a change shortly after and we were just working on setting clear expectations um, for some of our teams. And like, we brought those teams in and actually had conversations with them, proposed what we were doing, and then like took feedback back and forth. And the feedback that we got, um, one of the best pieces of feedback actually from someone on Ronnie's team uh, came back and is like, hey, you know, when you guys said that we were going to come in and give feedback, I didn't expect it to go down like this. He's like, I thought it was supposed to be collaborative, but this was way better than I ever expected. Like you took all of our, um, you took all of our input, you actually implemented it. Like there was no like heavy back and forth or, or fighting it because it made sense. Number one, it was logical. And, uh, and like, we thought it was super valid and we, you know, we were able to implement their voice and integrate something that was going to be hard for them um, and new and like people don't necessarily like that change. And after we actually implemented it, that same person came back and said, Hey, I haven't seen the team react to some, like a change like this. And, and I don't remember how long. And so just seeing how, um, how impactful it can be when you take the time to just listen, take input and actually implement it when it's valid or give feedback saying like, Hey, you know, I hear you. Um, and this is why I'm not going to, I'm not going to input that. And we're not going to take that because we can be so much more impactful over here and actually use this um, or, our, you know, like whatever it may be. And so just being uh, open with people, don't insult their intelligence, you know, actually include them in the process. And like the, the buy-in is so much higher, right? Like they're, they bought in, they're going to tell their peers. And so um, they're actually able to tell their peers when there's objections like, Oh, Hey, no, this is actually how we're coming at it. Um, the intention was really good. Even if we don't execute at the level we want to, the intention was actually really good. And so you know, at the end of the day, if we can assume good intent, even when we get the execution, you know, a little less than we'd like it, you know, I think that's a huge win. And like, culturally, that's what I'm always looking to build. How do we get people to assume good intent, even when we get the answer wrong? I love that. Assume good intent in, in all scenarios and then kind of make sure that that execution might not always be on point, but you, they know where you're coming from. It's, uh, that's pretty powerful. That's like a big, uh, that's a big culture shift. I feel like, right. It's like, um, a lot of, t I know me personally, um, I, I sometimes immediately go to like putting my, my, my defense up and I'm like, nah, man, like you, you wronged me by not getting this right. And I think it's a, it's always been a good reminder. And I know Nate is always pushing me in the right direction on that. Um, th but the other piece to me is, is, um, the trust piece, right? Like I know, um, Nathan, we've talked at length about what, what trust actually, like, what the fuck is trust? How do you, you know, we, we pull a hundred people, you get a hundred different answers, right? Um, cause trust is that thing that it eludes you a little bit when you try to, uh, describe it or, or define it. So I know, um, I really love the approach that you take to trust and I know we've, we learned it from, from a similar source, but you kind of made it your own. I, I'd love to, um, I'd love to give like just to talk about trust for a second because coming into a brand new joint and you know the CEO as passionate and as you know forefront as as she is and and will always probably be right um how do you walk into that place and become a leader uh and I think it's trust right and I know Dave already hit on transparency but 
uh, just tell us, talk to us about the trust formula. Yeah. Um, okay. So I will talk about the trust formula. I want to share a quick story about coming into smart city. And so, um, as Ronnie knows, and, and like anyone that's close to me, you know, there's some, there's some things I'm like very, very, um, tough about. And, and so like guarding my family and home life is, is a huge one. Like I want to be a great example to anyone I lead or in, um, interact with on a daily basis of like what work-life rhythm looks like. You know, there's people that say work-life balance and work, you know, like all these different things for me, there's like, what's your rhythm? Cause sometimes I'm working 60 hours a week and I love it. It's wonderful. It's perfect. And other days it needs to be 48, uh, 40, 40 hours a week. And so um, I bring this up because Cassie, our CEO, you know, when she was recruiting me, I'm working through the process. I told her, I'm like, Hey, you know, there's some things I got to be really upfront with you on. And, uh, and like, it's, it may feel like not great when I say it right now, but I promise you I'll build the trust where you're like, okay, no problem. Um, and the example is like, I told her, uh, in whatever the expectation is, if it's 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours a week, I'll get more done in that expectation than anyone else. That will be my consistency at a high level. That's always my goal. Um, and you know, I usually hit it, but, uh, I don't want to just tack on more hours. And so I said, look, if you ever call me on the weekend, if you call me on the weekend and it's just because you want to talk or you want me to do something, I'm going to tell you, see you Monday. If you call me on the weekend and it's something that's needed, then you should never question whether it's going to get done. Um, and like, that's a really, really specific like distinction for me. And I'm like, and it's going to, it's not going to feel great when I'm telling you this right now. And especially Cassie, she's like, classic <laughs> startup founder, you know, just like hundred miles an hour, 365, 24, seven all the time. And, uh, you know, and, and like, I knew I was drawing my line in the sand and I, I'll tell you, like, you know, I stay late. I do, I get what needs to be done, done. And, uh, and we did this, this change, this whole project, me and Ronnie were working on it with some other leaders. I probably worked over that weekend. I probably worked 40 hours, just uh, close to 40 hours on Saturday, Sunday. Um, you know, and that's not even counting Friday. And so after that, we, we nailed it down. She didn't even know I'd been working. Like she didn't know any of that stuff. She just saw the final product and she was thrilled with it. And I, and I came back to her and I said, Hey, remember when I told you that, you know, if you call me on the weekend and it's not something needed, I'll tell you, see you on Monday. I'm like, that's an example of weekend where it was needed and you didn't even have to worry about it at all. And she's like, I love that. Thank you so much. She's like, this is exactly why you're here. And she's like, I didn't worry about it. I didn't worry about it at all. And so I think it's just so important to be able to establish that trust and um, quickly and then be able to like talk about it along the way. So the trust formula is something that I love um, and we did it through some training uh, a while back. And the reason I love it is because it, it takes something that's so like not tangible and it makes it like broken down into buckets that you can actually um, take action against. So it's, it's this idea of um, transparency, times promises, times expertise, times delegation, times the idea of we, like as a collective, as a team together over me. And so um, there's so much to unpack there, but like to do the short and sweet, I'll just start with the we over me. And if you think about that, it's so powerful um, because if anytime that you're thinking about yourself, when you make an, you take an action or make a decision that is solely based on Nathan, then you just made the trust smaller. And that, like that, like, you know, if you like math, if you're kind of nerdy like me on that, it's really simple. You make, the, if you make the, the denominator bigger, then you made the, the formula smaller, right? And so 
You think about yourself, the me on the bottom, and you think about that, you're making the trust smaller. And I think that's just wonderful to think about, right? Like, how do we think about this as a team? How do we think about others? Um, and like one of my other favorite things about this is uh, if, if you were to ask of all that transparency, promises, expertise, delegation, which one's the least important? And, and I, you know, I thought about this for a while and I ask this usually when I share this with other people, you know, of all those variables, which one's the least important and people are you know, like, Oh, you know, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not sure. Well, I'll tell you it's expertise. Expertise is actually the least important in the trust formula because number one, like if you're in a position, people hopefully assume good intent that you're qualified to be there, but you don't build trust by being the best and smartest in the room. You build trust by sharing information um, of why we do things by actually following up on your promises and actually showing incredible commitment to your team by delegating and delegating is the most surprising for people because they don't think it's an element of trust and they don't, they just don't associate it that way. And so the cool thing about this training is it actually shows like the 10 degrees of delegation where it might just be like, Hey David, we're just, you know, you're, you just came out of college. You're brand new on the team. I'm going to start delegating to you because you've shown some promise. And so an example of that is you know, like a low level delegation might be like, Hey David, um, normally you wouldn't be part of this project at all. I would love for you to go do research and collect facts on it. And then you're gonna bring it to me and then we're going to talk about it. And then I'm going to make a decision. And then that can go all the way to, you know, level 10, where it's like, Hey, Ronnie, we've been working side by side for three years. Now you have got this. Here's what I need. I need you to take that hill. And here's all the resources you have. Let me know when you get there and like, see you later. And like, that's full delegation, you know, and, and, uh, one of the best definitions I took from the army is like, what's the one thing you can never delegate and that's responsibility. And so like, there's really clear um, ownership there that I love too, because there's this idea that, you know, no matter how much I delegate to Ronnie or to David or to anyone on the team, like if you fail, guess what? I just failed too. If you succeed, I also succeed. You know, and like that responsibility never leaves my shoulders, but the delegation and like the, the, the trust is built because now we're sharing that, you know? Um, and so like, I think it's really beautiful just to see like this element where you could go to a manager now and say like, have a coaching conversation. Hey, the level of trust in your team isn't at the level we want right now. Um, and let me, let's talk about why let's use a shared language. Now um, the transparency hasn't been where we expect you're supposed to be having team meetings three times a week and you should be having one-on-ones every other week and you're not doing either of those. So the team doesn't feel like you're keeping your promises and sharing the information that you should. And so that's the trust formula and like a really, really abridged version um, in like how it, how it kind of, um, has permeated like my whole being in essence. And, uh, and I, man, I just love it. Honestly. This is another one of those sick places where like my, my lives intersect. This is something that, you know, uh, David and I have been doing virtual meetings with the boys, the little cross team. And this is one of the things that we taught, um, in one of the first virtual meetings was the trust formula. Um, <clears throat> what's interesting is, I think this is something that we've ingrained in our program over the last four years, just not as eloquently as like the way we're describing it now. Right. But I think it's one of those things that like, I think from the very beginning before I think we really hit our groove, it was always, Hey, Ronnie's in charge of the defense. You know, you're in charge of your actions on the field. You're in charge of your actions off the field in school. Uh, but at the end of the day, everything you do is not only a reflection on me, it's a reflection on the head coach, which is David, right? And if I can get it wrong, 
Like I made the decision, get it wrong, but so did David. And he's just standing behind me. Right. Um, <laughs> so again, not as eloquent, but I think we've followed this. I mean, David, what do you think? I mean, well, yeah, I, I mean, I look back on my, my days and Nathan, you can attest to this in the military, right? If you screw up, like you might not even get fired. It's your boss's boss is the one that gets fired. I, I look at it from a ship perspective. Anything that happened on the ship, if something went bad, the captain's, you know, has to, is on, is on the chopping block. Even from the lowest level that he had really no control over, he was held responsible for it. And I think for me, that resonates. And I think, you know, if you have that mindset, you invest so much more in your people if you feel that way. And not in a sense of you feel like you're going to get fired all the time, but in a sense that it's your responsibility um, and, and not, not relegating that or thinking it's not and, and always having that sense of, of, uh, of responsibility. I totally agree. I'd love to share a story from, from the army that like resonates with uh, me for this. Um, and also just like two quick insights, you know, I mean, the military is exactly like that. I don't know if people realize David that, you know, when they, when you're a leader in the military, you're a leader of lives and it's not just like work lives, it's lives. Like it's the whole life. So, you know, if, uh, if, you know, <laughs> private Joe Snuffy decides to go, you know, beat his spouse over the weekend, guess whose fault that was? That's my fault you know, as the leader and guess who's picking him up from jail. Guess who's going to like make sure that he's exactly where he needs to be the next time. Like that's all your responsibility. And like, you know, that is, um, you know, it reflects on you, your team, the unit, the army, and it's good and bad. And it's, it's uh, it like makes me even think of the language of like when we give awards. So if you get like the army commendation medal or, you know, they do like the transcript, like here's the, here's what we wrote to nominate him. And it's, and like when they read that, it says, you know, Private Joe Snuffy has, you know, given great credit to himself, his unit, and the United States Army by showing, you know, incredible courage in, in the face of adversity or whatever. And, like, it's the same thing, good or bad. Like, your conduct reflects on your unit and the, the U.S. military as a whole. And so um, a, a quick example I'll give you. I had this sergeant. Um, so a sergeant being, like, your first-level leader. He's a first-time manager. He's leading people. Um you know, he has a lot of authority and this one happened to be, this gentleman was, I don't know, he was in his early to mid thirties at the time. Uh, he was single or he had, yeah, he, he'd become single. So he's living in the barracks and the barracks are just like, it's like a dormitory on the base. Um, unfortunately, when you live in the barracks, there's just higher standards expected there. So you have to keep them clean, like leadership will walk through and do inspections and like that kind of stuff. Um, and I just remember, you know, I had been getting ready for a, um, like a father son camp out for like seven weeks. I was so excited. It was the first one I was ever taking my son on so incredibly pumped. And, uh, and I remember getting this, this phone call, uh, and it's probably from my favorite leader I've ever had. Uh, his, he, he left the army as a, a SAR major, Edgar Fuentes, Puerto Rican guy, fiery as hell. Um, and, when he was mad, you knew, you absolutely knew he was upset. And, uh, you know, of all the people I wanted to upset, he was the last person I ever wanted to upset. And he called me and he said, get your ass in Lenahan. uh, be ready for a long night. Get your ass in right now. I was like, Oh shit. Okay. What happened? So go in and this, this Sergeant, uh, you know, mid third, this is a grown man. This is a grown ass man. Okay. Um, someone had walked through, found his, uh, his barracks room unlocked. And just walked in, 
It's like, oh, let's just go check out what's going on in, uh, you know, this guy's room. Yeah, man. Walks, walks in, and it is, it is disgusting. It is like a health and welfare nightmare. And, Ooh. I mean, just anything that is disgusting in a, in a man's room that you can think of is in there. And so, uh, and this person's on my team. He's on my team. So like number one failure on my part, uh, too much trust, not enough love, you know? Um, and, and so we get up and we're on the the second floor and there's like, you know, like a normal railing around the apartment. It's kind of like a motel, right? Like it's the outside doors. They're just lined up down a long hallway. You're outside, got the railing. And so, uh, I get up there and I'm not the only one I'm thinking, Hey, it's my team. It's just going to be me. He has every person that's a sergeant or above in the whole unit. So there's probably 30 guys there, um, lined up all the way up the, the railing at parade rest. So like, you know, arms behind your back, rigid, not comfortable. Um, and, and the sergeant whose room it is, we can't find him. We can't find him. He won't answer the phone. Nowhere to be found. Oh boy. Yeah. So this, uh, this is not going well. So we're, um, you know, we get into it. And, and so like the edict is, uh, no one's leaving here. And so he's here in this room is like the Taj Mahal. It will be magnificent. I should be able to eat off of every surface in this room. Uh, but we weren't allowed to touch it until he got there. So Nathan, what level were you at at the time? Were at you that time, like, did you say you were like the, like you were in charge of multiple sergeants at the time? Yes. Um, so I had, I was a staff sergeant at the time. So I had two sergeants on my team. He was one of them. Um, so like mid-level, like not like an E6, not, I mean, nothing special, but the, um, you know, it was my team and that was my world. And so could not find this guy. And, you know, I'm, no one has to say a word. Like I am just like so unbelievably mad and like disappointed in myself, disappointed in my team. And eventually I think after waiting for two or three hours, just like at parade rest, no one's allowed to talk. No one's allowed to do anything except, except for me when I'm allowed to go call him again. That's the only thing I'm allowed to do is like call him, try and track him down. And so, you know, all my peers, senior, junior, like everyone just still standing there locked up, you know, just pissed off. Um, you know, so two or three hours in, I had to call my wife and say like, Hey, I'm not, I won't be back. Uh, I won't be able to do the, the, the camp out. I won't be able to do any of that. And, um, and like, this is one of the best, you know, just lessons of leadership and ownership for me. So I end up going in, I think like three hours in, I'm allowed to go in and start leading the cleaning of the room. We still can't find the guy. Um, and so I go in, I clean the room. I'm a grown, grown man too, with several other grown men. And like, I think we ended up with seven or eight, like of those contractor sized giant black trash bags of shit, just crap, just, just disgusting crap that we had to fill out and take out of that room. Um, you know, I, 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 we basically, this was a Friday. I was there probably till like 7am, um, the next morning, still cleaning and just working through the whole night. Uh, and like, it's just a quick example of, you know, like the ownership we wanted, this didn't happen all the time, but you know, he was setting an example and he was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. We were all embarrassed. And you know, it's uh, it's pretty funny now. It's an incredible story, man. Like there's, there's, um, there's, I don't know if I've ever wanted to hurt someone so much in my life, especially who was like, you know, a grown ass man. Um, and the word that got used later, uh, was, you know, I called him a mediocre soldier, you know, and, um, 
when he, cause I got promoted a sergeant. He got promoted me uh, pretty quickly after relatively quickly after. Um, and the, like the worst part about him is like, he had so much potential and he was just like wasted talent. He was just lazy and didn't want to do anything with it. And this was like a great example of that there was no ownership. There was none of that. And so this was just one of many things I ended up having to, to deal with him on and like work with him on and try and mentor him on. And, um, one of the beautiful and tough things about the military is like, you don't get to pick your team. You don't get to fire people really. I mean, like there's essences of fire, but they're just moving to a different job. Yeah, they um, just get shifted around. They just get shifted around. They just become someone else's problem. And so, you know, like that, my mentality was like, how do I take the people on my team and like get the best outcome no matter what? Like every person needs to feel like they belong and they contribute something value, you know, like a value. And you know, there's people that like, all they could do was be a courier. That's the only thing they could do. They could literally walk this document over there and then come back to me. Like that's the value. But like you had to be that um, prescriptive sometimes to make sure you got what you could out of the team that you had. Um, I, mean, so- I think that's an important lesson to be learned as a leader is that of, of utilizing your people in the role that they can be successful at, right? On a team specifically, you you have a couple guys that are going to score goals. You get a couple guys that can defend, but you need a lot of other guys to do little things here and there that end up putting the whole piece together, the whole pie together. So I think that's one of the key ingredients of being a really good leader is understanding A, your people, but then B, utilizing them, you know, knowing their strengths and putting them in positions to have success, whether it's the courier or a guy who can clean his room really well and be in charge of that. You know, there's all those little kind of aspects that I find that as a leader, you're able to um, find those wins for those types of people, like the one guy you're talking about. Absolutely. And it's exhausting and fulfilling (laughs) and everything in between. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that I think that really – um, your conversation with your CEO when you were deciding to go over to Smart City that really kind of struck with me was your authenticity, right? Uh, of of having kind of the cojones to be say to her like, "Look, don't call me on the weekends unless you know it really needs to get done because it's my time." I think a lot of people, maybe even in your shoes, would have said something to try to please them or try to say what they want to hear rather than telling them how you really feel. Where do you think, um, obviously you have a, a tremendous amount of experience and all those things is, can you kind of speak to that authenticity of where that came from and where you kind of, you know, where that came from in a sense, because I know as a coach, you know, it took me a while to get to where I am, but also to feel comfortable in my shoes. You know what I mean? And I think that, kind of struck a chord with me. So can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, I heard this definition probably in the last year or so, maybe a little bit longer on like what it means to be authentic. And, and, um, and I loved it and it was so simple and it was probably the best definition I've heard of it. And it's basically when, um, when your inner voice, like your inner monologue matches the words you actually speak, the closer it is, the more authentic you are, the farther it is, the less authentic you are. An example would be like, people know if I were to say like too much corporate speak, you know, like if, if I'm using all kinds of like buzzwords and I'm not really saying anything of substance, people know that. Right. And internally you're probably saying like, guys, I'm scared. 
I don't know what's going on instead of saying, you know, like, oh, there could be hard decisions. You know, like, what the hell does that mean? Hey, guys, like jobs are at risk right now. We don't know when. Um, we're going to be talking to you on a daily basis if needed to let you know, like, where we stand. And, like, that's how drastic it is right now versus, like, hey, we might have to make hard decisions. Like, it's unprecedented with COVID right now. Like, we don't know what's going on. You know, and, like, that doesn't feel authentic where – um, and so for, for me, it has to, has to start with repetitions, right? Like you build experience by actually having, you know, taking reps. And so like, I, I have practiced that talk in front of my team. I practice it with my wife. I practice it with people, um, because I want people to say that to me. I practice it with people to tell them to come tell it to me, you know? And so like, it can't be one way. And, and like, I want them to be challenged. Like another example would be, um, you know, one of my favorite things to do is help people negotiate like their next job. You know, like how, you know, are you getting the value as far as like cash compensation that you think you deserve? What else can you negotiate? Is it, is it like, Hey, I don't want to be talked to on weekends um, unless it's absolutely needed or emergency. You know, can you get more vacation days? Um, is that talk track different for a woman than it is for a man? You know, is that less natural? Uh, and, and so like, there's just all these amazing things that you can talk about, but you know, my challenge that's, team is you're like, Hey, what, what's your internal monologue saying right now? Tell me that. Okay. It doesn't have to be exactly that. There's some like discretion we need to have, right? That's like, that's where the experience really comes from. People right. usually go to the, 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 the other side though, and they don't go anywhere close to their internal dialogue. They go to, this is what I think I'm supposed to say as a leader, you know, and it's, it's, we, you know, I'm a leader. I'm confident in, in, uh, in this leader speak and corporate's babble and, uh, and I, I found that to be like worthless, frankly, you know, and, and so like, how do you bridge that and actually come to a place where you can share like what you're really feeling and what you're thinking about, um, without it getting you in trouble. And like, uh, Ronnie's literally been in meetings with me where I was sharing more than I should have. And I was getting my ash chewed out by text or like I was getting phone calls during it saying like, you shouldn't be sharing that right now with, from people literally on the meeting who are like, you shouldn't be saying that. I'm like, you know what? Come find me because that was a, that was a wild day. <laughs> that was, you know, it was, it was a wild day. And I literally turned purple because um, I don't like doing what's, you know, doesn't feel right. Or if it's on, you know, like in the gray, but um, it felt right to, if, if I'm going to go down for sharing a little more with my people to make sure that we can execute at a high level, I will take that hit every single day. Um, so authenticity, man, I, I have always been really big on like the real talk, but like getting the better voice and doing it better over time just came from repetition. And I feel like I didn't really find that voice until the last two or three years where I, I realized how important it was. And they say there's this huge monumental shift when you have teams that are greater than 150. You know, you have like this tribe before that you have these, these people that um, you can assume good intent, right? Because we know each other, you know, everybody, but when you get past that, you don't. And you start losing that, especially when you're, you're leading teams across multiple cities and like states and timelines. And, um, and so for me, it was, I had to, uh, I, I challenged myself to be as authentic and earn trust as fast as possible, because usually I only had two or three hours with a team at a time. And if I couldn't leave them feeling like, oh shit, okay. Like, I know he doesn't have all the answers, but like, I feel like I got a straight, straight talking to today. And, uh, and like, I feel good. I feel good about who's leading us right now even if he doesn't have all the answers. And if I could leave them feeling like that when I only have two or three hours with them every month or two months or three months, you know, that was my aim. And so there's just not enough time for corporate speak then, you know, and it goes both ways too, because I'd be like, here you're Ronnie. And I love that you're still curious about that. I'm not going to waste a single minute on it. Here's why. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. We're moving on. 
you know, and like they deserve closure on, on things that are uncomfortable. Um, they're not going to go their way as long as they get heard. So like, there's an idea of like disagree, commit. Can we talk about this, disagree about it, and then commit if I have the decision to make? Uh, hopefully that's a yes. I, I remember, I mean, I lived through that with you, right? When we shifted from a team that was 50, right? To a team that was, you know, over 150, 200, I think at one point, right? But I remember feeling like, um, and this is from my perspective as one of the, I would say like one of the managers, right? Um, I felt like we just basically went to like a more decentralized like management, right? Where you stopped interviewing people. I remember that was the big one. You stopped interviewing everybody. You had interviewed everybody from person one to person like 150 in our, in our team. And then after that, you were like, it's just, it doesn't make sense. I don't have this kind of time. Right. So then you basically had to trust us to hire as if you were hiring. So, but you lost touch with those people. So I think that's the, that's, a, I think that's a huge part of the shift, right? Is like at some point you have to trust people around you to make the decisions you otherwise would have made or better. Absolutely. And like even articulate that to them, actually say it. I mean, there's one thing to change that and just say like, Hey Ronnie, you're taking all interviews now. I don't have time. Like that's one thing, but to say like, Hey, we've reached a point now where I can't sustain this anymore. And you have to know like how much I trust you. And, um, and like, I need you to be bringing a players on. Uh, and this can't be any different than if I was involved or not. And, and like, I do trust you. Like, that's why you're in the role that you're in. That's why you're in another role that you're in. And, uh, and that's the beauty of it. But you know, it's uh, it was fascinating to learn along the way, honestly, like the getting to that like level of authenticity um, is like one of my favorite things. I'd like to be a real person and, and like understand that we're talking to real people too, who have families and dreams and, and concerns and questions and, and all the things in between. And, uh, you know, we did a lot of things to make sure that we, they were heard and, uh, and got real answers. And, and you guys obviously have a, a trust and a bond. Um, you know, you guys have worked together, Ronnie and I have worked together for a while. How I know on the lacrosse field and on the sideline, things can be said at the heat of the moment in a game. And then you go back to like normal in the professional world. It's, it's way different. Um, can you speak to, you know, how, if, you know, Nathan and Ronnie have a relationship and can go grab beers together and their wives know each other and they hang out to then shifting to professional when Ronnie screws up or Nathan screws up, what does that look like? And how does that get dealt with? Because I feel like as a leader, sometimes that happens, right? If you invest so much in your people and they invest in you, you have that bond and that, um, that, that brotherhood essence or sisterhood essence in your organization. But then when they screw up, like, how does that, how does that happen? You know, it's funny. Um, you, you know, those like Marine commercials where like, there's like the crazy battle going on and it's always like the Marines running to, to the battle, <laughs> right? They're running to the gunshots and everyone else is, is going away from the chaos. And this is like the example on the, like the corporate side or like the business side that I think about where I'm like running to the bullets. Um, it's so important to me to make sure that, you know, um, that relationship is preserved on all levels. So like, I don't just get work, Ronnie, I get Ronnie. And that's like every part of his life, um, that has never gone away from me. And so, you know, like me and then Ronnie have had like very tough conversations about things where, you know, maybe, you know, he wasn't hitting the expectations I wanted or, 
uh, or I wasn't expressing the expectations at the level that we needed. I can tell you, I've, I've had to like part ways from, or manage, um, manage someone out for my team that I consider a friend. Like we still have, you know, I'll go visit them when I, uh, you know, go visit the town and, and still do that. But like, that was really tough too, because, uh, you know, like we had created a relationship that was more than just work. So for me, like it's, it's always about clear expectations. So like, here's clear expectations. Um, here's like really, really open communication both ways. So again, no ego, you can't, you can't have that. And we have to call it, it can't be personal. So it's never attacking Ronnie. It's like, Hey, here's the behavior or like the outcomes that were missed on. This is why. And I'll give you an example. So I'm going to call Ronnie out on this. So Ronnie is a talented person. Okay. Ronnie has gotten away with talent for a long time and he did not always build the skills of preparation and hard work that he needed to be successful. And so he's, when he finally reached you know, some situations where on the business side, you know, his talent couldn't get him through the whole thing. He, he wasn't as equipped as I wanted him to be in the moment with the level of preparation and hard work at the time. Um, partly because I don't think he knew how to do it. And partly because like, I don't know if anyone ever taught him. And so like, we had to sit down and talk about that. Like you have this incredible talent, you have all this potential, but if you're not willing to work hard or you realize you're in a situation that is new, you know, like, how do you overcome that? Well, he's overcome that with talent before. Well, this time the talent's not going to get you there. Now you need to prepare at a higher level. And that was like a new muscle that he, he got to form. And like, the cool thing is, and this is like the best part of being a leader is seeing that muscle form and then consistently used. And so like, I've gotten to see that progress over time, not only in one company, but now in a second company where he's probably in the best role he's ever been delivering at the highest level level he ever has. So like some kudos to Ronnie in that, but also some like some real talk where, you know, like we had to have conversations saying like, dude, what's going on, man? You know, and, and like, Hey, uh, and my favorite technique, this is going to sound so simple, but I have found it to be like incredibly effective. Hey, Hey, David, uh, would you be open to receiving some feedback right now? And just saying feedback, like it opens up a different, uh, like mindset saying like, Oh, okay. All right. I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Okay. Let's do this. Versus saying like, so David, you know, it was kind of a rough game the other day, you know, and, uh, you know, you said some things and, and yeah, man, that, that was tough. Okay. All right, cool. Let's see ya. And then if someone else were to come to you and say like, Hey David, did you get, did you get feedback from Ronnie? You'd be like, no, I didn't get any feedback. So like, if I were to guess, you know, I don't know what the real numbers are, but like people think they've given feedback. I bet less than half of them, um, the people actually receive the feedback that they thought they gave, you know? So if I'm giving feedback to David on most likely, you don't think you received any feedback. And, and so like just saying something simple, like David, Hey, would you be open to receiving some feedback right now? It just changes a mindset to say, Oh, this is a different conversation how, uh, you know, like, how's this going to proceed? Oh, I did receive that. And, you know, and giving people time to actually do that and then work through it. Like a lot of it, uh, is observations, keep it factual, you know, database wherever you can. And then like, Hey, how did you receive that? Do you feel like it's accurate? Do you feel like I'm off, off point? If, if so, let's talk through it. Um, and, and so I think having a communication, being human, you know, it, it's amazing how that goes because one of my favorite things to follow up on is if Ronnie said he gave feedback to David, I'm going to go to David and say like, Hey, David, Hey, Ronnie, talk to you. Oh, did he, did he give you some feedback? How did that go? Oh, Oh, well, what was the feedback? And like how you receive it is usually much different if you received it at all than what he intended. Right. And so like, if you can get that down, it's unbelievable. Like you can go as far as you want, as far as a leader.
it's almost like you have like a language almost that um, opens doors and opens minds. I don't want to sound too cliche, but um, the language is so important. And it's not like you're saying anything different, but the way you propose it and the way you articulate it can certainly sway or adjust that person's mindset going into that conversation. And I think that's something that as a leader, you have to, um, like you say, you have to have the acumen and the experience and the willingness to learn that language to be effective. Absolutely. And it feels so different than like you, you talked about like being on the field with the team, like the army was no different, right? It was like, would you say to me, David, all right, let's go step behind this, uh, this, this building here. Let's slow down for a few minutes and, uh, right. and it will be good for next morning. You know, we're good to go. And like, that was one of the beautiful things about the military is like, you know, some people have kind of, you know, um, you know, vendettas or, or maybe they have grudges after, but like, it was so rare. Like there's just, there's just not enough energy in the day. So like, let's go freaking throw down if we need right. to, you know, we'll wrestle whatever. And then like, we're good to go, you know? And so um, the business world's much different than that, right? <laughs> got to have a little more tact, got to be, um, you know, willing to listen and learn and know like, Hey, you know, maybe intention of the feedback was really good, but again, execution was shit. Like you did not get your point across in a way that was meaningful and that that person can actually grow from. And so, you know, like that is definitely a, a like a tool that has to be honed over and over and over again, every single day. I do think though there is something to be said about the, you know, behind closed doors, we can disagree doesn't matter right you can scream you can yell say whatever you want to me but when we walk out of here we're one again that's all that matters to me right um and i think to some degree i I think that's where it comes from right that's where the trust comes from that's where you're able to say hey ronnie that presentation was actually super shitty right and like that's (laughs) because i know when we walk out of here like he's not going to go parade around to everybody i suck this guy's in, right? He's going to make sure I get it right next time. And I think that that's what matters. And, and to go back to the example of like me and David on the sideline, like we've said things to each other that if our wives knew we said it, they'd be like, why do you guys hate each other? <laughs> why do you guys hang out? <laughs> yeah. yeah, But like, it doesn't matter. Cause we both know, like, it's like, it was in the heat of the moment. We are in it. We're deep in it. And one of us fucked up and you know, we got to get it right and let's move on. Because at the end of the day, I know that if he says something to me or I say something to him, it's because we feel like we're letting the guys down. We're letting the kids down, right? And that's what it's always about. It's about the people. No question. I, I always think about it. You know, how do I make sure, even if I get the words wrong, Ronnie, like how does Ronnie know that I couldn't, I had to say something because I care so much about this person as an individual, as a human being, right? And so I may get it wrong, you know, on how I deliver it, but like, again, like it just comes back to you. Like, I want you to know how much I care. I noticed this thing and I want us to get better together. Um, you know, and like one of my favorite things, I'll go back to something I mentioned earlier, like this idea of a growth plan. So like sitting down with your team and one of my favorite questions from the growth plan was, would you be willing to have me share what we talk about in here with other people? Um, because, you know, it's one thing to have like a conversation and a commitment together. But if I were to go say the same thing to you, Dave, is like, hey, me and Ronnie are working on this. Uh, we're working on preparation right now. You know, he, he knows how to prepare for these kinds of things, these kinds of things, and these kinds of things. But when it comes to putting together financials and like doing a presentation on P&Ls and like forecast for the next quarter, he, he's like, he doesn't feel as comfortable there. And so he doesn't know how to prepare as well. And like the talent's just not going to get him by. Hey, David, 
can you help them next time? Because you're pretty good at that. And are you willing to do that? And so again, like no judgment on your side, no judgment on my side. And, and I'll tell you like every person I've ever done a growth plan with the resounding answer was yes, please share it with anyone that can help make me better. And, uh, and like, that is cool. That's just really cool to know that, you know, people just want to get better and they love knowing that you and other people, you know, are willing to invest in them. Yeah. No, I think, and I think your point of letting them know you a bit and understanding who you are, is that something that you find important? Do you let, um, and, and there's two kind of foods of thought for, for this, I believe, and specifically in the professional world, but I know in the coaching world, for me, I know it made an impact on my players when they saw me with my wife and they saw me with my kid. Do you find that that makes a difference in kind of the professional world of letting that kind of in, but not too in, if you know what I mean, if you kind of understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, again, like people want to know who that human being is, not just work version of you, right? Right. And, uh, and so I've always loved putting that on display. And Ronnie, like one of my favorite things we did at WeWork is um, every, every December, I would bring the leadership team together and we'd come to my home uh, or we'd, we'd just join as a group. My wife would come to where we were. We'd come to my home and, uh, and we would make homemade jam for our team. So like a jar jam for every person. And then we'd, we'd write handwritten um, thank you notes to every person on our team, you know? And so when that, that number started getting up to like, if you think of our cross-functional team, like 300, it got wild. around 300. Yeah. Like you got some cramped hands, you got a lot of damn jam, you know uh, you know, it was incredible. But like the best part of it is like my wife was doing something she loved doing it for a team. We were all serving our team. So like at the end of the day, everyone's like, Oh, thank you so much. You were so wonderful. And my wife's beaming and she's loving it. And you know, and the team loved seeing like more of me and like my wholeness. Um, you know, getting to see like the personality of my kids, you know, our dogs, uh, you know, I remember Kylie, my youngest daughter was like schmoozing it up with Ronnie and Emily, like our, our recruiter at the time and just like having the time of her life too. And so I think it's absolutely essential to show like who you are and where you come from and like what you do outside of work every day. Uh, um, for me, like it was a hard balance. So I, I started this thing to, to help shield us a little bit where I don't like being the center of attention. And like, that's, you know, for lots of reasons, whatever. Um, and, and so like I, anytime we did a big gathering, I started with a story. And so I usually shared a story about, you know, whatever it may be. And we were going through some hard times and like the theme of the stories then were, Hey, let's share a story about one of the toughest days at work, you know? And, and like one of our leaders shared about being locked in, um, you know, two or three days in Manhattan, right when nine 11 hit. And he was, he was like the major or the, um, head of, uh, 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 room services for like yeah. all the room, uh, like food delivery and everything in the, uh, what's a really fancy hotel is like, um, I don't know, a, four, a really fancy hotel, like five-star hotel. They had like, you know, um, uh, heads of state from other countries in the hotel at the time, all locked in, everything's locked in like uh, downtown Manhattan after nine 11. And so he's just sharing like how crazy it was, how worried everybody was, how frantic it was. Um, and you think that might, maybe it's slower, but everyone's locked in their room and they can't leave. So like dining services is just going crazy. Like the job is obscene, you know? And so like for him to share that, uh, I shared my story from, you know, like one of my days in the army and I was like, my story's pretty good. Like, it's a pretty good story. And then he told his, I'm like, damn, okay. All right. Like I can't, I can't even touch that. And then another person told a story. And so like, 
you know, you got to see a part of that, but like every leadership meeting we had, we started with a story. Every time we gathered as a, a big, bigger team, we started with a story. And that was my chance to just share a little bit more about who I am as a human being. And, um, and I did that as like a platform because uh, I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't necessarily want to be the center of attention, but I'm also the leader. So there's like a responsibility to share more, make people comfortable, let them know you. And so um, that's how I tried to kind of balance it a little bit better. I think it's so important just because, you know, I obviously I'm in a different demographic with 14 to 18 year olds, but you get it from a, from being a dad, right. Um, of, of letting them in a bit and seeing that you're not this like militant, you know, crazy person on the field where and you have a kid and, and you have a life and you have a wife and, you know, you do all the normal stuff, right. You go to the grocery store, you do all those things where kids can't sometimes formulate that. And I'm sure that's the same thing for some of your employees that can't wrap their head around that you have four kids and a wife and dogs and the whole deal where that just doesn't come across. But I feel like the more, again, going back to that word authentic that you can be, the more you're going to that transformational aspect instead of that transactional aspect is going to be there. hundred percent. I remember, um, my wife and family has just always been like just part of my fabric. And so I remember being 19 years old. We had just gotten the orders that we were deploying to Iraq. You know, uh, I'd been in the army for like four months, five months, whatever, you know, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and, and I'm like constantly thinking of all the war movies. I am the, I am like the epitome of the guy that always dies. He just got married, just had a kid, you know, I'm like, that's the, that's the, um, you know, the screenplay going through my mind. And I just remember we were down in the motor pool. So the motor pool is literally just like, it's a fenced off, you know, um, parking lot where we have all our vehicles. We go down and check them every week and make sure they're ready to go mission ready. And, uh, and we had been getting them all ready to go on the train, to go on the ship, to, to, you know, go over to Iraq. And, and I just remember like, Hey, we had, we were probably like 14 hours into that day. We hadn't had a chance to really take a break or anything. And I called my wife. I was like, Hey, I mean, would, would you be willing to like put together some food for us and just come, you know, make sure we get something to eat. And, uh, and this lady, you know, she put together a big old um, spaghetti dinner, like breadsticks. For some reason, I loved Sunny D at the time. So like brought Sunny D down. And I just remember like, I'm the, probably the youngest person on this team right now. We're getting ready for war. And like, it'll just be burned in my mind for the rest of you know my life that, we're all just, you know, 14, 16 hour day, Texas sun in this, you know, just rough day. And we're all just sprawled across this parking lot, you know, and, and anywhere you can grab a seat, you know, just scarfing down the spaghetti. And there's my, my six month old son, my wife. And like, this was just the first time that she did it. And she started, I mean, that just became like her legacy there. Like everyone knew her and she was always bringing food and, um, and like we kind of like the golden family of, of like the unit, you know, like we just were always trying to serve and give back any way we could. And, and like so much of that just comes from me trying to be a better person around her because, you know, she, I mean, this, this who she is and like without a, without a hesitation to be the first person to make a meal for a hundred people. Um, when, when we're making like maybe 1500 bucks a month, you know, at the time. Right. And uh, wh whatever, we'll figure it out. Don't ask for anything. She'll just be there. And like, so that's what I think about when I think about like, Hey, how do you bring your family into this? How do they know that you're more than just like this work robot? And, uh, and like, that's the vision in my mind is just always in that parking lot 
with all these people that I have just become friends, lifelong friends now. And, and there's my wife, you know, serving every one of them, um, you know, in a way that, yeah, I just couldn't make me more proud. Well, uh, that's fucking awesome. And I know Jamie, so that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, and by the way, those jam parties are still like one of the best times I had, um, over the last three years. So, uh, we'll have to, I mean, I'm sure we'll do it again. So I'm, I'm ready whenever you are. For sure. It's a plan. So, you know, one of the things that we talked about and, and, uh, and I think we went a little longer than, than I promised everybody, but it was just, it was going so well. And I just looked up and I was like, Oh shit. Um, but one of the things that we talk about is that there's these, like, I think there's these fundamentals that, that uh, um, we, pers- we, uh, we, we subscribe to as a leader. Uh, and, and I wrote some notes down uh, about the things that we've talked about and the stories you've shared and it boils down to me to a few things. And, and uh, I don't know that they are headlines necessarily, but it's trust and transparency, right? It's um, leaders can get it wrong. Um, it, there is a ton of ownership there uh, and, and, and people, 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 right? And then you talk about your family, right? And I think that's the, to me, that's the hierarchy of people. Like you start with your people, your family, your tribe, right? but it's, it's always around people for me. And uh, those, those are some of the headlines I took, but I wanted to kind of open it up to you uh, as we, as we close it down here to like, what, what would you say are your fundamental beliefs that uh, you built your, your leadership style on? Yeah, I think it's uh, I mean, the two big ones is if you can get the people and the culture, right? Like everything else falls in place. And so, you know, um, and when I say culture, that means like, do you have clear and like um, inclusive language and like conversations and communication in ways that we are all getting better together every single day? Um, you know, are there clear expectations on where we're going and how we're going to get there and, and your role in it? And, and like at the end of the day, like no ego, there's no title. Like I don't give a damn about any of that stuff. Um, you know, we, we need clear expectations, but that doesn't mean your title means anything or you're special. Uh, people don't always agree with me on this one, but like, I love the idea. No one's special. No one's special. Like, don't think you're special. Don't, don't talk about being special. Just be special. Um, but no one's special. And that means like no special treatment, you know, just treat people like true people. Um, and then the last thing is like, just be willing to listen. Like, I mean, it's such a lost skill. It's something that we talk about constantly. Everyone knows, you know, we should be listening more, but they don't necessarily know what that looks like. And I think incredible listeners, uh, just, they take organizations to the next level. So, um, I mean, you, you pretty much nailed it, Ronnie, you know, it is all about people, but if you can get the people and the culture, right, everything else pretty much falls in place. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Nathan, uh, we certainly appreciate it. Um, you know, trying to get this off the ground, uh, and get people listening. And I think, uh, certainly your story, your anecdotes and your uh, experience um, will certainly um, hopefully strike a chord with, uh, you know, the people that do listen. And it certainly struck a chord with me. I have a, like a notepad full of notes right now that I'm excited to go write in my little book um, to make sure I, I, I jot them down. So uh, we certainly appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to uh, grabbing a beer with you uh, when you come back down to Houston. That's for sure. Absolutely, man. As soon as we free up from this uh, shelter in place, I got to get down to Houston and Austin. I owe I owed, I owed a few trips to, to Ronnie at, at this point, I think. But um, 
hey, I'm thrilled that you guys were willing to to have me on and, and let me speak. Um, you know, it's it's really a, a privilege to to be able to share you know anything that I got to learn and you know especially with Ronnie, I'm such a big fan and uh, you know hopefully we get to spend more time together, David, and I can be a bigger fan there too. Awesome. Hey, before we before we uh, stop recording, you got to give us um, your three book recommendations. Three book recommendations. Okay. All right. I'll go with um, one of mine and Ronnie's favorites, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Uh, really enjoy that one. Um, it, it just really, I mean, for those people out there, you know, think it's a man's book or, or like, you know, military heavy, it certainly is, but like the, the takeaways from it are amazing. And so, you know, they're applicable for everyone and, and, you know, for our women, you know, listeners out there as well, you know, it might, it might give you more insight into like the team that you're leading if, uh, if it may be more, you know, uh, male centric. So really love that one. Uh, another one that I really like that is maybe not as well heard of is called um, Quiet. And it's a book about leading and working with introverts. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of an extroverted world. And, you know, I think um, I'm personally am an introvert. And, and one of those things is uh, just learning how they're different and how they, how they recharge and, and work differently is just really key. Um, and then let's see, lastly, uh, The, okay, so the, the last one would go, I would go with the five dysfunctions of a team. And that one's really great. And the cool thing about that story is it's, it's a, um, it is a fable, basically. So it's a made up story about a, an organization where this lady comes in as a CEO, makes all these changes, you know, has to push some people or manage some people out, all these different things. Um, so instead of like just talking about the lessons, they actually tell a story about the lessons. So you get to see all the lessons in action. I really enjoyed that one as well. And super applicable, especially for young leaders. Uh, and actually, I mean, leaders of all levels of experience. So that's my three. Oh, dropping mouths to the end. That is episode one, Nathan Lenahan. Appreciate you, boss. All right. Thanks so much.